0: Take your Bibles and turn back to the Gospel of John this morning, and we're going to continue in our study in this first 18 verses, the prologue of the Gospel of John, and I just want to reset them, this really uh, premier passage of all of Scripture, really, um, in, in your minds again, so I want to read it in its entirety. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and we're just going to be taking several weeks to work our way through this really um, critical introduction to this gospel. So many of the things that we're going to be learning in this gospel are found here that it's going to be hard for us not to kind of jump ahead a little bit in our thinking uh, regarding what John wants to get across to us here, and so um, we'll do our best to try to minimize the the going forward, because we're going to get there eventually. Let me read uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Father, we thank you for your word and its power. And Lord, we are so blessed to be able to be here this morning to hear the voice of the living God through the pages of Scripture. We thank you for revealing yourself through this book that we hold in our hands. And so I pray that we'd listen attentively this morning, not as if we're listening to a mere man, but as we actually are, we're listening to your voice through your word. And so, Lord, I pray as we... Focus on the word, Christ today, your ultimate revelation of yourself, that our hearts will be encouraged and challenged. We pray in his name, amen. Well, life is full of questions. Some are trivial, and others are extremely important, and life's questions range from where you're going to go to lunch today to where you're going to go when you die. But there's one question, I think, which... Every other question pales in comparison. It's the most important question in life. It's the question that every person in every generation must answer. And the answer that we give is critical because it will determine our eternal destiny. The question I'm referring to is this. Who is Jesus Christ? This is the ultimate, inescapable, unavoidable question of life. As one man put it, every soul will be pinned against the wall of eternity and forced to answer this question. In other words, no one gets off planet earth alive without coming to a conclusion about who Jesus is. Even Jesus' closest followers were pinned to the wall, if you will, or forced to answer this question, ironically, by Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who pressed them. And all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this historic interaction between Jesus and his disciples. But I'd like to go to Matthew to show you this historic question that Jesus asked. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. Matthew records, in Matthew 16, verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, he was asking the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so Jesus knew that during his, at that time, there was various opinions about him floating around. And he was curious, where the disciples landed And if they had landed yet on who he actually was. And so he asked, hey, who do people say that I am? But then notice he says in verse 15, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? I don't care what else, I don't care what the word on the street is. I want to know what you think about me. And so Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, even though John doesn't include this classic conversation in his gospel. His entire gospel is his answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? And the main reason why John wrote his gospel was to prove that Jesus was indeed the son of the living God. And he wasted no time in making that point. And We said last week that he just throws us into the deep end, right? Here in, in John chapter 1, verse 1. Unlike other gospel writers who, who began their accounts of Jesus' life and ministry with his human ancestry, his, his earthly origin, if you will, John began by explaining Jesus' divine ancestry, his, his heavenly origin. And he directs our minds all the way back to the beginning, before time began, when God existed all alone, which is referred to as eternity past. And in verses 1 through 18, we said he, he really just introduces uh, gives an introductory overview, a basic summary of the entire book, uh, which provides us a glimpse of what's to come in his gospel. He lays out the basic themes, the basic topics, the basic terms, key, th- key terms that he develops later on in the book. And the main point of this book is that Jesus is the son of the living God who came to earth to bring life to all who believe in him. And I said last week that we were just calling this, these first 18 verses Jesus 101, kind of like Economics 101 or or History 101, just kind of giving us a basic introduction to the subject of Christ, a general overview of who Jesus is. And in the first 18 verses, John provides a a basic overview, a general general introduction of who Jesus is and why he came to earth and what our response should be uh, or shouldn't be. And if you grabbed an outline coming in, you know that we just kind of divided these verses into eight truths about Jesus that we're going to see again and again in this gospel. And last week, we looked at the first two, origination and creation. And in verses 1 and 2, we said that, that, that John makes some breathtaking, mind-blowing statements that affirm the deity of Christ, that, that Jesus is God. And he refers to Jesus as who? In the beginning was the, the Word which is a key concept that we have to grasp, and it's not complicated to grasp. It's very simple because what he was saying is that Jesus was the means by which God chose to reveal himself, to express himself, to speak to us about himself, to communicate what he wanted us to know about himself. We use words, right, to communicate to others, and God used Jesus to communicate to with us, And Jesus is more than words. He is the word. In other words, one word says it all. And that's Jesus Christ. And so God has clearly revealed himself to us in multiple ways. We mentioned these last week. He's revealed himself through creation, right? Through all that he made and so that men are without excuse. We just look around and go, I get it. There's a God. How can there not be a God? Uh, He's revealed himself through our conscience. Romans chapter 2 talks about that all of us have an innate understanding of right and wrong, and and that gives evidence that there is a God who who we will stand before and we'll be judged someday by God for what we do and what we don't do. He's also revealed himself through the canon, through the scriptures, through his word. And then he's also revealed himself through Christ. And Jesus was God's last and best expression of himself. We read Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. And he goes on to talk about whom he appointed heir of all things, whom also, he may, whom also made the world. So like the writer of Hebrews, John affirmed, That Jesus, as the Son of God, the second member of the Godhead, the second member of the Trinity, was the active agent in creation. Verse 3, he says, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being, and that has come into being. And so that's where we left off last week. Now, notice in verses 4 and 5, John switches the metaphor for Christ from the Word to what? The light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And really, all the way down through verse 13, Jesus is likened to the light that has come to illuminate the darkness. And I think of all the imagery that's used in Scripture to describe the incarnation which is God becoming man, the coming of Christ in human form. That's what we know as the incarnation. I don't think there's any more vivid imagery than that of light piercing the darkness. And both the Old and New Testaments portray all of mankind as being in the dark, if you will. Like someone helplessly and, and hopelessly wandering around lost at night, and I think darkness is, is clearly symbolic of man's sinfulness, of our sinfulness. Listen to some passages. maybe just write down the text. Psalm 107, verse 10. "There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High." Proverbs 4:19. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Just a very vivid image of somebody walking along in the dark, in the pitch dark, stumbling and fumbling over things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We know from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 talks about the, the wrath of God that's coming upon mankind. Why? It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they were without excuse... For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was, what, you remember? Darkened. Paul picks up this theme in Ephesians, this darkening Theme, Ephesians chapter four, verse seventeen. So this is I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk, and the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, for you were formerly darkness. But now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And then verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So according to the scriptures, all of us, every one of us, are born into the domain of darkness, and we're characterized by the deeds of darkness, and we're blinded to the light by the prince of darkness, Satan, and we're destined to spend eternity with him in pitch black darkness. Matthew 25, 30, Jesus was talking about casting out that worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, an obvious reference to hell. Jude 13, talking about the false teachers, they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved. There's not much we can know for sure about hell because the scripture doesn't speak a lot about it. But one thing's for sure it's it's pitch black dark. We can be sure of that. That's the bad news, okay? That's the bad news. That's where all of us are headed. The good news is that God has provided us with a light. And the Bible portrays Jesus as that light who came to rescue us from the domain of darkness and from the power of the prince of darkness. The Old Testament prophets foretold of this light, Isaiah 9-2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. A clear reference to the coming of Christ, the Messiah. And in fact, Luke, in his gospel, says it this way. He quotes from the Old Testament, Luke chapter 1-78, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, With which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. And so the coming of Christ is likened by Luke to to the sunrise after this long, cold, dark night where we're just stumbling around, bumping into each other, having no clue where we are or where we're going, all of a sudden the sun peeks over the horizon and the light rays just and it's the person of Christ. John makes much use of this light-darkness motif, if you will, uh, in his gospel, and uh, we'll see that throughout this sermon, but just for starters, he, he begins, he introduces this whole, whole idea of light and darkness in this prologue, in verses 4 through 13, and, and, and just for another outline, we're going to see this morning how the light was revealed in verses 4 through 8. How the light was rejected in verses 9 through 11. And then we're going to see probably next week the light, how the light was received in verses 12 through 13. Let's look, first of all, how the light was revealed in verse 4. He says, In him, in Christ, was life. I think, first and foremost, he's, re- he's referring to Christ's self existence. He is God. Very God, and we know that one of the attributes of God is of his self-existence. He has always been there. Nobody created him, okay? He has life within himself. In fact, John mentions that in John chapter 5, verse 26. Jesus said, for just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And so, again, another reference to the deity of Christ. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm the same as God. I'm the same as the Father, I have life in, my, in myself. I'm self-existent. I think at the same time, when he says, in him was life, he, he, he's talking about, John's referring to the fact that Jesus was and is the source of our life, that we would not exist physically or spiritually were it not for Jesus. You wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for Jesus. When we were born, we received physical life from God through The creator, right? Jesus Christ. And when we are born again, when you you receive spiritual life from God, you, you receive that through Christ. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? No man comes to the Father but through me. And we die, we'll experience eternal life through who? Christ. And John mentions this in the account of the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, in, in, in John 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And so Jesus not only gives us life, but more he shows us how to live life. Notice in John he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, it's not enough just to, to exist. Okay? Okay? We need to know why we exist and how to exist. And so Jesus reveals to us the true purpose or meaning of life, why we're here. And he provides the guidance and the direction that we need to live our lives here on earth and then shows us how to live eternally in heaven, how to get to heaven. And so the point is this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's like you're still walking around in the dark. You have no purpose. You have no hope apart from Christ. Notice he goes on in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Again, darkness here refers to the moral and spiritual corruption that sin has brought upon the earth. Man's sin plunged the world that God created to be a light, bright place, Man's sin plunged this place into spiritual darkness. Sin has darkened the minds of mankind toward their creator. They don't know God, nor do they care to know God. And so the coming of Christ into the world was, was, again, like the dawning of a new day for sinful mankind. God sent his son as a radiant light to cut through all the ignorance, all the deception, and make his presence known. And yet according to John, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. People didn't get it. And guess what? They still don't. People don't realize who Jesus really is and why he came to earth. And we're going to see over and over again in John's gospel, people not understanding Jesus, not getting him, what he, who he was, what he was saying, and consequently they opposed him. And yet despite their opposition... They couldn't overcome it. And there are some uh, commentators who think that this word here, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it, would better be translated, could not overcome it. You may see a little marginal note in your Bibles. It really could be translated either way. And I think both of these ideas are seen in John's gospel. And I think the picture here, if it was indeed, they not only didn't comprehend it, they couldn't overcome it, The picture is the light of Jesus invading the the darkness, the dominion of darkness, and and darkness being unable to overpower it. Satan and, and his subjects have done everything in their power throughout time to hold back the light, and yet they're unable to diminish its power. In other words, Satan's enmity towards Christ and man's rejection of Christ can't prevent his light from shining. Listen, Satan wants nothing more than to keep you in the dark. Because he knows that's death and hell. That means you're coming with him. And he knows that if you see the light, that means he loses you. You're no longer part of his kingdom, but you're a part of the kingdom of light. And you'll spend eternity in heaven with God, his nemesis. And so ever since Satan was cast out of heaven, he, he stopped at nothing to extinguish the light of Christ. If you remember, just in the Old Testament, how he tried to destroy Israel from whom the light would come. I mean, he did everything in his power, right? His earthly power to destroy the nation of Israel so that the Messiah couldn't come. And then when he couldn't do that, he tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby through through the, the insanity the, uh, and jealousy of Herod. I think that was a satanic plot hatched in the heart of Herod to kill all the newborns right in Bethlehem. I think he tried directly to get Jesus to abort the cross in the wilderness and even in the garden when it says he returned to him to tempt him to not go through, if you will, with the cross. And in fact, he tried to defeat Jesus at the cross and even turn that to his advantage, and yet that only sealed his fate. And so the point is that the penetrating, illuminating power of Christ has always and will always prevail in spite of all opposition. Now, John makes a little transition here. It's almost like a parenthesis here. In the next three verses, verses 6, 7, and 8, where he introduces his readers to another John. This is not the writer John. This is not John the Apostle. He's talking about John who? The Baptist. He says, there came a man, verse 6, sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And here we're again, we're introduced to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the Messiah, who, like all the Old Testament prophets, was called and equipped by God for a special ministry. And his ministry was to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who, who had announced the coming of the King. And I think what may have motivated John the Apostle here to make a number of detailed references to John the Baptist, which he does here in, in, in a good portion of chapter one is a discussion of John the Baptist. He also mentions him in chapter three and four. But you say, why why does he talk so much about John the Baptist? Well, I think that he needed possibly to correct some wrong opinions about John the Baptist that that were held by some who were still loyally following him, John the Baptist, rather than Jesus. And again, he's writing years after, right? The life and ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, the ascension of Christ. He's writing years later, in the 90s, 98 AD or so, and so there were, apparently, some of John's disciples who still didn't get it. In fact, we meet some of these in Acts chapter 19. Um, Luke recorded a visit that Paul made to Ephesus where he met some disciples of John the Baptist who had yet to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were still thinking they were fine being baptized, having been baptized by John. And they hadn't come to know Christ, apparently. And so Paul corrected them. By saying this, in in Acts 19.5, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. And I think here in John's gospel, he he was likely doing the same thing. He was making sure people understood that John the Baptist was just the messenger, but Jesus was the Messiah. And and, and, and by the way, this, this cult following, if you will, of sorts, of John the Baptist was no fault of his because he could not have made it any clearer that people needed to follow Jesus and not him. I mean, just look at some of the verses in chapter one. Verse 15, John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me. So it's not about me, it's about the guy coming after me, right? Verse 20, and he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Verse 27. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I don't, I don't even know where to tie this guy, untie this guy's sandal. Verse 34. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And he goes on in verse 36, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he pointed to Christ. Said, That's this is the guy you're waiting for, not me. He was simply a a witness. A witness. It says in verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. His mission, the mission of John the Baptist, was to announce the coming of Christ and to take, tell people to get ready to receive Christ, to testify that Jesus was the light of the world so that they would place their faith and trust in him. And so John was the agent of belief, not the object of belief, if you will, kind of like the moon. Right? The moon has no light in and of itself. We wouldn't know that if you just look up at, you know, in a full moon, you go, wow, that's beautiful. That's giving off a lot of light. Well, we know that the moon is simply reflecting what? The light of the sun. In the same way, that's the role of John the Baptist. He was the moon that was reflecting the light of the sun. He was what John calls a witness which, by the way, is the Greek term from which we get the word martyr. And this is one of the key words in John's gospel. He uses it over and over and over again. And so John the Baptist was just one of many witnesses that John calls to the stand, if you will, to testify that Jesus was the Son of God. John's like, first witness, step up to the bottom, you know, put your hand on the Bible. And it 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 was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, first witness to the stand. And we're going to see other witnesses that are going to come that John's going to call. By the way, we can learn a lot from John the Baptist, and we will when we get to verses 15, or really verses 19 through 34. We're going to to camp out a little bit on John the Baptist and what we can learn, but just to kind of give you a heads up, I mean, John the Baptist is a good example for us, right? That we are to be like John the Baptist in that we are not trying to draw attention to ourselves, we're trying to attract attention to Christ, right? We're pointers to Christ. That's, that's our role in, in life. We, we point people to Christ. And, and we should be like the, the full moon, if you will, simply reflecting the light of the sun. That, that yeah, people, you know, when, when there's a full moon, you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you come around the corner and all of a sudden the moon appears above the trees and you're like, whoa, it gets your attention, doesn't it? And, and I think when people look at our lives, they should go, whoa. But then we simply let them know, listen, we're, we're just reflecting the light of Christ, right? So it's not about us. Don't get excited about us. Get excited about Christ, because Christ can do the same thing in your life as he's done in our life. I guess the an, analogy we could take a little further and you know, are, are you, uh, where are you at in the, in the whole cycle of the moon? You know, maybe your life is just, you know, you can just barely see a little bit of sliver, right? A little sliver of the moon, right? Just on the back side, if you will. But or are you like half moon or are you full moon, right? The Question, how much do you reflect the light of Christ in your life? And I think the more you are like Christ, the brighter, the more brilliant, the more eye-catching, if you will, your life will be. And you'll have opportunities to tell people about Christ. But if your life's not reflecting Christ, guess what? They're going to pass right by your life and they're going to miss it. They're not even going to see. Because it's like just a little sliver, they they, they missed it. And so here we have the light revealed. But then secondly, let's look at the light rejected. The light rejected Verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus is the one true light. Not John the Baptist, Jesus. And and, and in a world that that has always sought enlightenment through gurus. Um I just saw another article about that Deepak Chopra whatever that guy's name is, right? Some Indian dude that comes to Houston every once in a while. And he's always, people just flock to hear this guy speak. And he's a guru from India who's been enlightened. And and, and apparently people come to get enlightened by this guru uh, through philosophies. People look to be enlightened through different philosophies or, or even through religion. But true enlightenment comes only through Jesus Christ. And when it says that he enlightens every man, I think ultimately what he's talking about there is that, that Christ exposes, because we know that not everyone comes to know Christ. So we, we, we know it, it can't mean that, oh, he, he, everybody comes to their senses and everybody gets it, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that, that, that he exposes the wickedness of all of us. It's like the searchlight poosh, gets turned on and there we are. And it exposes all of us, right? In whatever state we're in. And I think the next verse is probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. How does that happen? I mean, here is the creator of the world In human form, Jesus, the second member of the the Trinity, comes to earth in the form of a man, to the very earth he created. And he was not even recognized as the rightful ruler and owner of all things. He, he, He was treated like a trespasser, someone who didn't belong. And so they had the privilege of of rubbing shoulders with the creator of the universe, but they were too blinded by their sin to see who he was. And notice it gets worse, verse 11. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. We know that mankind in general rejected Christ, right? Rejected Jesus, and still does. But what's worse, it says his own. Who's his own? His chosen people, the the, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, failed to receive him as their long-awaited Messiah. And despite all the centuries that the Jews waited for their promised Savior and deliverer, when he finally appeared, they not only dismissed him, they destroyed him. And they tried to snuff out the light because it exposed their sin. And just a quick preview, turn to John chapter 3. Just turn ahead a couple chapters and notice the the verse we all know and love, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Typically that's all we know, right? But look at the context. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I mean, Instead of coming on a search and destroy mission, Jesus was sent on a search and rescue mission. God is not some harsh, cruel deity just who just can't wait to pour out his wrath on people. His heart is filled with love and compassion for God so what? Loved the world. And even though God had every right to send his son into the world to judge us, to kill us all, to wipe us all out, he chose instead, instead to send his son and let us kill him. That's profound. And so he willingly sent his beloved son into the world, a world filled with rebellious sinners who were damned to hell, knowing full well that we would crucify him. And yet that was the price that he was willing to pay to make a way for sinners like us to be saved from his wrath through the death of his son. And God desires all men to be saved But if we refuse to place our faith in Christ and follow him, then he's going to judge us. Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, if we reject Christ, we're toast. We're insulting the grace and mercy of God. And verse 19, this is the judgment. Here it is. That the light has come into the world... And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and has not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Why do people reject Christ? Because they love their sin. Bottom line. And they love it so much that they're unwilling to give it up. And that's why they love the darkness. That's why they prefer the darkness, because it hides their sin. If you thought about this, most sin is is committed when? At night. And that's why we're shocked when we, we hear about something that's done in broad daylight, right? Because that's not normally when heinous sin or heinous crimes are committed. And people hate the light. Why? Because it exposes their sin. They don't want anyone to see what they're doing. They want to continue undisturbed in the life of sin. It's as if Jesus showed up into a room filled with a bunch of people. It was a dark room filled with a bunch of people just carousing and sinning and being immoral and drinking and, 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 and shooting up drugs and you, you fill in the blanks beating each other up and, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and flips on the light and everybody for a second stops and goes like this. Like, and looks like, Discuss, like, who, who turned on the light? Turn that thing off. Because they want to get back to their party, right? Get back to their carousing, get back to their sinful lifestyle. And so they resent Christ and therefore they reject him. But then look at verse 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light So that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Instead of running to the light, right? There are some that run to the light. And those that God draws to Christ welcome the light. They welcome the light. They're like, thank you for turning that light on. Okay? It was so dark in here. And I was sick of my sin. And I was sick of myself. And so even though their sin is exposed, they respond in repentance and faith and they begin living by the truth and their life changes and the change is produced by God and he regenerates them. He causes them to be born again and we're gonna talk about that next week. But again, just listen to some of the, the references to light and darkness in the Gospel of John. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness but shall have the light of life. John 12, 35, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. The darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Listen, if you are still in the domain of darkness this morning, you don't have to stay there. You're the only one that's going to go up and turn that light off. The light's on. You're staring the light in the face this morning. And when you place your faith in Christ... You believe that he is the Son of God who died on the cross in your place, and, and, and you, you, you commit your life to follow and obey Him. You will be delivered out of the domain of darkness, and you'll be able to walk in the light. Paul said that God had called him, his ministry in Acts 26:18, was to open people's eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. Paul said in Colossians 1.13, for Christ delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter calls us to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 2 Corinthians 4.6, God said, light shall shine out of darkness and he is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Either way, there's much to apply this morning. Right? If you don't know the light, if you've yet to see the light, if you're continuing to walk in darkness, the light is here, it's Jesus Christ. Receive him. Embrace Him. Submit your life to Him. And you'll be rescued out of darkness into His glorious light. And if you have already been rescued, right, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has done that. To praise God and worship Christ because of His great work in our lives. I love that verse in Charles Wesley's Classic hymn, and can it be? It goes like this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Let's pray. Father, we pray that that would be everyone's experience here at this church, that everyone could sing that hymn and, and know that that's actually happened, that that's been their experience, that although they were imprisoned and, and bound in, in the dark, that you in your grace and mercy came in the person of Christ and, and their dungeon flamed with light and their chains fell off and, and, and you freed them. And they rose and they went forth and they are following you right now by your grace and your mercy. Lord, may we who know that proclaim your excellency. And Lord, for those who may not know that yet, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.